Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now, here's Pastor Rafael. Hello, this is Rafael Martinez, a minister in the Church of God Cleveland Movement, And thanks for downloading our podcast entitled, Where Are We Going? It's a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, a ministry of discernment with the objective of helping you recognize how spiritual deception, a sign of the end of all things as foretold by Christ in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, is now engulfing our world and how you can escape it. We've got to open our eyes a bit wider to see clearly into a dark reality that is rarely ever understood or even acknowledged hence the reason why we are doing these podcasts. There are others you know who need to hear this insight, so we'd appreciate you letting your friends, enemies, and everyone in between know about our podcast. We can be found on Amazon, Spotify, and Google, and links are found on our website and Facebook page to us. Thanks for spreading the word. We're gonna reap what we've sown Cause His light shines on our darkness But what really troubles me Is what the seed may be When it has grown The apostles were no dopes. They had eyes of fire upon the evil of their day that threatened the spiritual good of all. The apostle Jude, in Jude 4's classic warning about these false brothers, has been a record and in our hands for well over two millennia. So we're really without excuse on this. The scripture says in Jude 4 that there are certain men crept in unawares, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These people were what we today call creepers who literally snuck around to sneak in wherever they want to be, wherever they want to go, and whatever party they want to crash and take over. The Greek word translated crept in unawares is peris du no, a word that means to sink down in alongside. There were ungodly men and women who were recognized as being cunningly able to slip into social circles, particularly churches in this instance, and make themselves right at home next to others already there. Brazen is almost too polite a word for the shameless manner they demand a place at a table that they've never belonged, but have made it seem a crime to not make choice room for them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6-7, through 7, the same word is used in this verse. He says, For of this sort are those who creep into households, where Paris do know the thought is there, and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The great Bible scholar William Barclay wrote this decades ago about what Paris de Nau means, and it bears repeating, it strikes a little bit too close to home 
Listen up. Quote, It is used of the spacious and seductive words of a clever pleader seeping gradually into the minds of a judge and jury. It is used of an outlaw who slips secretly back into the country from which he's been expelled. It always indicates a stealthy insinuation of something evil into a society or situation. Certain evil men had insinuated themselves into the church's very social fabric. They were the kind of men for whom judgment was waiting. They were impious creatures, godless in their thought and life. End quote. Barclay was writing almost if, as if for a blog post today. And he wrote this to describe the predatorial manner of those who stalk the Christian church to feed upon it. Wearing the mask and robes of holiness and good humor, they ensnare countless people by their efforts every day. You can see the media engage their impact by empty pews or vacant dinner table chairs. It's impossible to calculate how many of these kinds of men and women today slither in and out all around the churches of today. But we do see the impact all around us. And the need has never been more urgent to highlight this profoundest of challenges. Sadly, the Christian church has never been more ill-equipped or clueless about spiritual deception than it has been in these final days of the 21st century, in the rise of the, of the cult world, that massive culture of cultures and world of worlds filled with deceptive groups now challenges it directly. The blatant advance of cult recruiters that literally march in and draw away disciples out of churches to pursue their own pipe dreams can't be overstated at all. Now, how cults achieve this stealing of sheep from churches globally will be the subject of our next three podcasts, in which we will examine three case studies from three different places. It's one thing to hear about abusive cultism traumatizing of victims as we have for the past year or so, but quite another to learn about how they got to be a thing in the church to begin with. So today, we will begin with the observations of Kathy a good friend and former cult member who personally witnessed the grotesque invasion of crafty deception as it decimated her own church. And her cautionary tale illustrates quite painfully how certain men and women still creep unawares. Kathy, we're delighted to have you on our podcast today. It's, it's been a while since we were last in touch. It's good to hear from you again. Well, thank you. It's good to hear from you, too. Yeah, uh, and uh, we really appreciate your, your taking the time to do this. And I was looking back at a, at a portion of your life that most people want to forget, but I appreciate you taking the time to unpack a little of what really was a, a really a really trying time in your life, but uh, to do so in a cautionary way, and I appreciate your, your doing that with us today. So now, um, when you contacted us, um, uh, that was way back in 2014 or so, uh, you talked to us about the existence of a very destructive cult that you'd actually escaped and walked out of. And that you, right. were looking, you were looking for help beyond the experience. How, how are you doing now? I'm doing very well. I, you know, I, um, took me some while to, uh, get my land legs back, you know, and I had to do some therapy and, and, uh, get over the trauma of, um, everything that happened and learned how to trust people again. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's been yeah. a long road. Yeah. And that doesn't happen mm-hmm. overnight, does it? No, it doesn't. It it takes a long time. Yeah, and and, and just I want just one more moment reflect on that. In in taking that time 
how intentional do you have to be? I mean, I really understand. I know everybody's individual, but for you, uh, I mean, you really just had to really put forth quite a bit of effort to really put things behind you, uh, from what I, from, you know, the sharing that you, you did with me and my wife. Um, yes, that's true. Um, uh, you know, the first step was coming to the realization that what I was involved in was not godly. And, um, I had to work through all of that anger and guilt and, um, resentment. Uh, and I knew that I couldn't do it on my own and I needed to find someone out in, in there, in the world that would understand. And I did a lot of soul searching and a lot of research and praying and I came across you and your wife, Elizabeth. And that was my first step in getting some help to get mm. someone, uh, that was actually in the ministry and that understood what I was going through. Right. And I appreciate that trust, Kathy, because we really, really felt for you. I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to visit with you a few times and, and hopefully before much longer we'll see you again. Um, uh, okay, sooner rather than later. And, right. Uh, Appreciate you coming down. You even came down and took care, helped me take care of my wife and she had her knee operation. So thank you. <laughs> That's why I want to know. This lady, this lady is a wonderful person. Uh, and, uh, I'm sure her rates go up if you, if you reach out to her, but, <laughs> but, uh, thank you so much. You, it, it was a pleasure to have met you and, and, to, remain, and to maintain a connection now. So, uh, but uh, sadly though, you weren't alone. Several other people were struggling with their own individual efforts to put involvement with this group behind them. And, um, so I, I hope they're all doing well. I hope they've done what they can to put to do that. And um and as you contact us, we then began to investigate this movement and found it was completely off the radar and hidden in plain yeah. sight. Uh does it still exist now in any form? Um, from my understanding, I haven't really talked to anybody in a, about a year and a half about it, but at that point it had disbanded. Okay. So I had to spend, the last thing I heard that it, it, it had a, a, a one chapter further north up towards uh, upper Michigan and, and, uh, but that's the last thing I heard. You know, I guess it, 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 it I think it plainly lost its, its wind. Why do you, why do you think it, it have you heard any reason as to why it uh, disbanded or was it just people just dropping out or what happened? Um, I think the, the spiritual and, and emotional abuse, um, Finally, people got to see what was going on as, uh, you know, I left and a few other people left were trickling out of the group and they finally, uh, lost the resources and, uh, it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. And it wasn't a very large group to begin with, but I think, it, I think at one point you had about 50 or so people, right? Um, Yes, we had uh about yeah, between thirty five and I would say thirty five and forty five people um yeah. at one time. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember in talking with you and other people as well as we were up there and we even got the chance to actually go to the to the cultic uh place to the bad place as you might call it and uh, we actually got to meet the, um, the cult leader's wife and we got a little bit of tour around the area there and they all seem like such wonderful nice sweet people and um, and I know 
that, uh, you know, they certainly had an earnestness about them. That seems very persuasive. And everyone I spoke with that was, that had left was certainly people that were also very, very consecrated, very devoted and wanted to serve God in that way. And uh, I think they felt that there was a, really a divine call that changed the world that, that, that they were hearing from there. And, and they just created this faith community seemingly out of nowhere. Um, but, uh, but that's not the way it works, does it? Uh, you know, um, for, uh, for any parasite to live, it's got to find a healthy host. Exactly. Right. And you were there at the ground floor when it all began. And, uh, what if you maybe share with us how it began and what, and what your perspective was on that? Well, I started out with, um, I was a church secretary in a, uh, up and coming church in my area and uh they needed an associate pastor so they uh did some searching and one of the members of the congregation had moved from California and was very involved in his church out in California and they uh decided that they would have him candidate for the position of associate pastor. Mm-hmm. And so he was very popular with the, the congregation. He had a very charismatic personality and could come across as very compassionate and understanding okay. and helpful. And so and, and this he, is while he was a member, right? This is while he was a member, yeah. He he worked his way up. He started out as a member of the congregation, then became a small group leader, did Bible studies in his house, um, did uh, organ, organize different uh, events at the church, and uh, he was very computer savvy, and so he was able to upgrade the computer system at the church. He was involved in everything. Mm. And so that's why the uh, elders of the church thought he would be a good fit for right. an associate pastor. Right. But he actually struggled a bit with the leadership to bring him on, didn't he? He, yes. As once he got in to that position, he started to uh, go against their teachings because uh, it was a Baptist church, and he came from a Pentecostal background. Okay. So it was like oil and water. Mm-hmm. Right, and right. He, he, it was very subtle what, how he would undermine the, uh, the pastor and the elders. And uh, it all escalated. It took two or three years. And as I was the church secretary there, I was um, behind the scenes involved in watching all of this go on. And he um, was able to convince me that they were all wrong and he was right. Mm. And eventually um, he left the church and I left after, shortly after he did. And then we started this home group and it grew way out of control over several years. Right, right. But beginning back to the issue, now, now what had happened was he came aboard, from what I understand, this church had had, had, an, had a really good visitation, that there had been a lot of growth, that there were a lot of 
young families and and was and just just was a lot going on in the church that 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 indicated that uh, you know there was new growth there were new people coming in there was a lot of excitement was going on about what the potential would be and that this pastor uh seemingly out of the best of intentions really was trying to find someone who would help him help him shepherd in that right correct yeah and uh, so what started to happen that clearly showed that he had that agenda all of his own. I mean, like I said, he, he struggled with the board leadership, you know, beyond the doctoral differences. Um, he came across as this humble, anointed young man, yeah, with this great passion for truth, and he wanted to serve in the church. And, of course, he was given a lot of latitude. But uh, what was he doing that clearly showed? I mean, other than you just mentioned that he that he was obviously, you know, having um, – Having public issue with the, with the doctrinal differences, what else did he do to show that he had some sort of ulterior agenda? Um, it's you know it was all very subtle uh, the way that he uh, manipulated people. He got the people in his small group meeting in his house uh, to also question the elders of the church and the pastor and how things were handled. And he would just throw out little, little questions or maybe little stories of things that were questionable to him to plant that seed in somebody else's mind. And then you had a bunch of people that were disgruntled with the leadership and he was able to get those people to side with him. Mm, okay. All right. So nothing, and nothing, nothing big, but, but just enough questions, enough insinuation that something might be there. Might be something more deeper to to this this disagreement, right? Right, right. And so, and and no one in the church leadership really recognized this. I mean, was this ever brought up? Uh, did he was he ever called a task for, or did he just leave? Um, he was disciplined. A, a few times, but in the meantime of those um, times where he was called in to have a talking to, mm-hmm. he was doing um, research on some of the leaders of the church, and he was digging up things from their past oh. that he that he was going to be able to use, um, in you know, like like blackmail. Really? And then, wow. Yeah, and that's, um, yeah, there was two, the pastor and two of the elders. Um, he, he knew that what were their vulnerable parts were because they would get together in their prayer groups and stuff. And he took that information and then he stored it away. And then when they came to confront him on something, he had ammunition to come back at them. Hmm. So this this went back and forth for three or four years that he was there. Wow. Now I understand he had a really serious issue with women. He seemed basically just to be blunt, a misogynistic kind of attitude toward them. And he had a really, he gave a, a, one of the women leaders of the church a really hard time about that. Yes, he did. He did not. Um, appreciate her and the way she handled things and he wanted somebody else that was much younger 
to take over her the ministry. She ran the children's ministry for several years. She actually started the ministry there, and he was able to push her out and get somebody that he wanted in that position, somebody that he could control. Hmm. Yeah. It wasn't his wife, was it, or was it somebody else? Um, she she became the assistant, but she didn't want to uh, run the ministry, so he got somebody else to do that. Okay, all right. But I'm sure she was behind the works then, working the strings, trying to uh, feel things out, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, because they were, from, you know, having met her, being uh being who she was and knowing who knowing her position, you know, I never did meet him. He was out somewhere, but I met her, and she was a very dynamic, very energetic woman. She radiated this energy of industry. Uh, I mean, she, I mean, she seemed like a very nice person. She really did, but there there was an underlying um, weighing look she would give you, and uh, and me and my wife were there, and uh, and. Uh, we knew at some point that they were, if we let her, they would, she would have tried to divide us and get them off some, get my wife somewhere and maybe left with a bunch of men talking to them. So it's a very interesting experience, uh, to, to be in that kind of environment and to actually meet her because she's, mm-hmm. like I said, um, you know, every cult leader, uh, worth his salt is going to know that if he has a, uh, he or she have a, a spouse that's going to work with them to advance their agenda. Well, they just get that much more work done, don't they? <laughs> so, um, but uh, and, and and that just right, right leads into one of our points. You know, is that cult leaders never do appear like one, do they? No, no, yeah. I I did not come to that realization until you know at least a year before I was able to leave there. Yeah. So it took so how long were you there? You were there several years, and then uh, just shortly before you left, like you said, that you that you finally realized this man is is not who he thinks he is. Right. I yeah. it was about four and a half years. Wow, it's a long time. And 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 the group became uh, communal, right? You basically all moved onto a uh, a farm somewhere and started to uh, to live out. Right. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, and, and, and that's kind of interesting because didn't he teach at some point that, um, in the midst of all his small group studies and the postings he did, that he really hammered the home the point that there's only going to be a faithful remnant who are going to be willing to walk purely before God and that, um, and that these are the people that we all need to be, need to be a saying to be. I mean that was a, that was a point that, for understand, he really he really uh, kind of really uh, put uh, uh, emphasized in in his discussions. Right. Yeah. He he would let us know in his teachings that we were the remnant, and that um, we had to get more disciples and be more active in the community to bring others in so the remnants of God would be bigger. Right. So what was his gospel like? I mean, every cult creates their own gospel, their own message, their own unique emphasis. Uh, that's what we read in Second Corinthians chapter 11, the, the Apostle Paul's classic warning there about uh, warning the church to be careful of those who preach under the gospel 
uh, by the power of another spirit and, and preach another Jesus, uh, identifying Christ as something else the way he is. What was the message of this group? I mean, what were they all about? What, 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 I mean, they were espousing sound doctrine, but what, what, what was the message underlying it that really kind of made it all sound perfectly biblical, but really came across as being what it really was, another gospel? Well, the, he, he was a prophet and okay. he had the truth and any other uh, religious group or affiliation like in the Protestant or Episcopal, whatever it was, did not have the truth. Okay. And we were to stay away from them, the teachers. But we were supposed to make friends with the um, people that were going to those churches to draw them in. Oh, okay. So stay out of the churches, but uh, befriend all the church goers. Right. Uh, and of course, there there is a plan for that, wasn't there? So what what was the plan? How are you how are you expected to befriend people and then lead them to follow him? To get in, uh, we got involved with uh, community events, um, you know, like Fourth of July events, or you know, maybe um, there was a river cleanup thing, and they would do that. Um, at one point, we were uh, raising meat chickens and butchering them and selling them to people in the community. And uh, we had an egg business also. And so it was those types of things that we would meet the people and try to uh, get them involved with us. Okay. All right. So it's very practical, very, very, uh, you know, um, very person oriented uh, approaches uh on a on a subsistence level i mean be, you you were there raising food and talking to people and stuff like that i mean that was how it all began it was it was supposed to be like a, a center for people to uh come together and and be fed food and uh get to know uh what the truth was right right yeah so you had this band of zealous people who were following him and um, you're out there in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. I mean, and these people are, are, are being called upon to create an entirely communal experience of, of first century Christianity. And none of them had really had much experience <laughs> in, in, in livestock or, or, or full-scale farming. Um, and that really became a, a really big task that everyone got engaged in. Yes, it was um, a lot more than a lot of the people could handle. But mm -hmm. so we gave up everything. You know, I gave up my home and uh, sold my house and uh, retirement funds. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars were put in into this, and, and you really were alone. Didn't Right. And right. Lost everything. Yeah. I understand a young woman, or I'm a, I don't know if it's a young woman or not, but some woman, I think, I don't think she was a young woman, but uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. There's a woman, a lady who really felt that she wanted to help out. And she ended up cashing an entire, her own entire 401k and came and laid all the money down at his feet. That's correct. She did. 
and that was trying to ape the apostolic experience in, in, in the book of Acts. Correct. Wow. She, yeah. She gave him, I don't know, it was over $30,000 in cash. Wow. That's amazing. And that, but that's not at all uncommon. That's, that's, that happens quite regularly every day in, in movements such as this. So, so, so what was the overall response of the church? I mean, this group of people that, that came out of, of, of the church, um, obviously there were, there were members that, that basically were, uh, became a, a schismatic group that left under his leadership. I mean, what was the church's response to all of this? What did they do? I mean, did they, did they try to reason with them or did they, did they, did they fight with them over it? Did they just let them go? I mean, I mean, I, I guess every, every congregation is going to have their own spirit and their own way they handle things. Uh, but, um, what was the response uh, of, of, of them to, um, to this, uh, this sudden breakaway? Um, the only thing that I know of is that they had a congregational meeting where, uh, the pastor of the church tried to calm down the people that were left in the church and to smooth the ruffled feathers. Um, but still there, well, there were many people that left because of the split and a lot of the people that were there went to other churches in other towns because they just, they couldn't handle the, um, the discord. That was uh, so this church for this church that had been so full of hope, and revival and growth and expansion. Uh, I understand they're involved in world missions and things of that nature, and they're you know trying to do their best to bear the community. Suddenly, it was just decimated by this division. Yes, and yeah. it's my understanding that it took them about four years to recover. Wow! And uh, so, and they just let them go. They never sought to discuss it with them. And I think it was from what I understand, that was because anytime anyone from the church would try to go speak with members of the group, uh, that, uh, the, the group leader basically already had them coached on what to do and say, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. That was hours and hours of teaching and role playing. And, and wow. um, he just seemed to be, one or two steps ahead of what was going on. So he had everybody convinced that, you know, we, we were the truth and he had the, the truth that he heard from God directly. And we needed to pay attention to what we were doing and not get involved with anything wow. else. Right, and, and really, the only openness they would offer to anyone coming from the church was that uh, the only way they would they would speak or relate is if they were willing to reexamine their own position and and consider joining them. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Incredible. There's just there's just uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's no compromise. It was, it was a completely, uh, I mean, renegade position. You know, you either were with them or you weren't. Wow. Right, right. What and was that like to, I'm mean, going to go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. When he was doing that kind of thing to try to get them, it's either my way or no way, he would um, make it seem like 
he didn't want those people to make that decision to come join him. It was a total manipulation. It was a mind game. It was like being, you know, gaslit from uh, making these people confused. He confused everybody. So mm-hmm. you didn't really know what your beliefs were anymore. And then once they decided that they wanted to be part of the group, then he indoctrinated them into the group. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, I think that's what gave him a sense of power is how he could manipulate people so easily. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the leaders just cut ties just so they do the damn control and not allow anybody else to actually get sucked in. Right. Right. Well, and so, and so look, let's fast forward several years now. Now, um, we, you believe now, and I believe, I know it is. I mean, when you talk, contacted me and we've talked about it, we, we both know that this was a, a full-blown cultic movement, complete with mind control, information control, spiritual abuse, all kinds of just really evil things going on. And we can't even begin to scratch the surface in our conversation today. But um, for the record, uh, we... Um, after we were contacted uh, by Kathy uh, to look into this, uh, we learned that there were an awful lot of things going on that were absolutely blood blood curdling. I mean, there there were people who lost their lives as a result of following this teaching. There were um, innumerable instances of, of families being divided, religious abuse. Um, one woman was, one woman was, 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 was physically thrown out of the group after fighting to get her, 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 uh, minor son out of their control again. I mean, that's just one of so many things we can talk about, but suffice it to say that this was truly <laughs> a very bad place to be. It was not any place that, uh, that anyone would, would, after, Reflection that would ever think about attending, except to go view it as a classic case study of what a cult is. But but the community saw nothing, right? They they said they saw absolutely nothing of any of this. In, in, in essence, um, everyone there uh, at uh, outside of uh, the group really viewed them as just as this really gentle, benevolent band of people trying to live out. You know their their face and and help others. I mean, they they just no one ever saw what was going on, did they? No, they didn't. There there were plenty of rumors going around, but uh, and people were very cautious to uh, develop any kind of relationships with us as a group. So, uh, but they never really saw, you know, the actual abuse or what was going on. Right. Right. And what were the ongoing efforts of uh, of this of of the leader and the and the, those who led with him? What, what what kind of things would they keep doing just to keep the community's focus upon that kind of uh, mask? What kept what what did they do to keep people you know off balance and 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 not suspecting that they were actually what they were a cultic movement? What did they do? What what were some of the ongoing things that they that they participated in? Well, one of the things that they they did was they joined all the the men in the group, joined the softball league in the town, 
so in the summer they would play softball and um they got involved that way and got to know people that would come to the softball games and then there was a community center and they volunteered the young younger people in the group volunteered at the community center and mm-hmm. would um you know play with the kids and and do activities with the kids and, and chaperone and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. everybody just thought we were a bunch of helpful people. Yeah. Yeah. And then never, never, any, no one ever catching it. No one ever suspecting what really what uh, was going on. So, so, uh, uh, what, what did you see? Uh, I mean, when it finally came down to it, what was the thing that finally helped you see that, the agenda that this leader had, had had pushed on you all, making you think that you were out doing God's work. What was it that finally uh, was the thing that opened your eyes and made you realize that this is not what I signed up for? Or what this this, this is this is dangerous. I, I need to get away from here. What, what, what actually was the thing that really opened your eyes? Well, it started to. Uh, he started to let his guard down and deteriorate as a leader. For one thing, um, he started allowing um, alcohol on the, on the property and they would have uh, parties on the weekend and they, they would drink. They, they were making their own wine and their own beer. So that was to him, how he expressed it was it was biblical because that's what they did in in uh, first century. They mm-hmm. had their own beer and they had their own wine and they drank and uh, it just escalated. Everybody was downtrodden. Everybody was um, started spying on each other and he had, was playing one get against the other. All the time, and uh, I was very disillusioned with it. Mm-hmm. And the more that I questioned what was going on, the more centered the attacks on myself were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but you, as someone who was, I guess, moderately respected by the leader, uh, you. As much as you did suffer, uh, there were others that were much more uh, victimized. There were those who people who, from what I understand, that really caught some really awful forms of punitive judgment on them. Right. Yeah. He would. Yeah. <clears throat> he would take his wrath. He would. His anger would became uncontrollable. And anything would set him off, and he would just verbally abuse whatever person that he was supposed to be um, guiding and, and uh, you know, talking to and, mm. and building up. It yeah. became nothing but uh, a session of verbal abuse. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just any one thing, but there was just there was a, a moment of. Of, of, of there was just this lucid moment in which you opened your eyes and suddenly it was all there, all the dots were connecting and you realized this this place is is yeah. is bogus. Yeah. I gotta get out of here. Yeah, it was. Well, the last year that I was there, I had tried to leave about 
three times. And he was able to get wind of it before, you know, I could make my move to leave. And I was um, talked into staying. But the, mm-hmm. he yeah. got tired. I think he, he, he just definitely got tired of playing the game with me. And so I became a target. Yeah. And uh, then I made my move and I left. Yeah, 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 and uh, and others also did likewise. But um, I think you probably were one of the ones that really, really shook him the most, simply because of the fact that you knew him, you knew him from the very beginning, and you had uh, really uh, uh, rattled his cage. And uh, so, what was some of the no what for, for, for to help those who perhaps may. Be in a church setting, or, or or maybe not a church setting, maybe some other place where there are around a group of people, and and there's and and they're uh, in in their association and relationships. Um, you're intermingling with people who may have their own agenda. As a matter of fact, they may be acting on it. What are some of the danger signs that uh, that that you maybe can can spell out that that might help people recognize that? I would just say. <clears throat> Someone that can uh, has a very charismatic personality that people are drawn to. Um, you really need to pay attention to what they're saying and why they're saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and question, question them. And if they get upset with the questions, then that would be a red flag. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, in the beginning, I didn't do that. I fully trusted because he was a man of God. You know, yeah. why would he lie to me? Why would he treat me any other way than respectful? You know, right, right. And, and, and wouldn't you say that one of some of the other danger signs that involve would, would, like you said, as you've mentioned previously, uh, they would involve where they always are coming against authority. They're always yes. questioning it, and but when it comes down to questioning them, oh, that that wasn't allowed. That was that was seen as sinful, right? So you question everybody except him or her or whoever, as long as you didn't ruffle their feathers or or, or lay them to the same standard. You, you just simply learn real quickly. There was a there was a differing standard. There were there were there were. Uh, uh, completely different ways to look at things when they were involved than the otherwise. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because there's a, there's a double standard. That's what happened there. So yeah. So um, yeah. in 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 and in, in that recognition, typically, even though people can see that, there are many that that can recognize this, but they'll sit on their hands. And for any one of a million reasons, and, and won't act on it. They'll just let things go. They'll, they'll let they'll, they'll let uh, they'll they'll see those sort of danger signs. They'll recognize, hey, is that it's not <laughs> it's not godly to to be verbally pistol whipping somebody uh, over their failure to do something the way they want them to do it. Uh, and that was something that, of course, in any group, there's always a pecking order. There's always somebody getting getting uh, put put down or, or, or criticized 
uh, as someone who, who just is, is, is so sinful that they can't do anything right. Uh, it's those sort of things that, that you have to look out for, and that, which apparently were, were missed by so many. How did people generally do when they saw something that clearly was, was, was awful, clearly was a sign of, of, of imbalance in, in, in the leadership there? Everyone saw what was just absolutely horrible, but yet didn't say anything. I mean, what, what, what the, those moments, uh, they, they always, they were, they, they were like a constant reality, weren't they? Yeah, it was a constant reality, but you're, <clears throat> the only way I can explain it is that because of the, uh, constant teachings and, and the constant, uh, being constantly being told that, you know, watch out for the people out in the community, but befriend the community. You start to question your own beliefs and you're, and so you're confused. Right. So when you see something that isn't right, you're not sure if it isn't right or if it is right. So right. therefore you don't say anything. Right. Because you, cause you, you can't trust your own judgment anymore because it has to be run, run through them, isn't it? Right. Man, that is certainly a disturbing, disturbing, dark place to be in when you can't trust your own observations and uh, you can't think for yourself, basically. And that's, what, that's how it goes. So, so when you left, uh, that was something that uh, was precipitated by... By what moment? Uh, when did you when did you finally get away, break away? Well, um, I was uh, like I said, I had been targeted because I wasn't compliant with uh, the way he wanted things done. So I was moved out of the group into another house with some other people, which was. A, gods, a godsend for me because I was away from the group completely and now I could clear my mind and and figure out that this whole way of life that we were doing was wrong and uh, eventually uh, it took me several weeks but I was able to uh, make arrangements to leave and I was uh, I left there and uh, was able to stay with my daughter in son-in-law. Right. And then the long road ahead started, one step at a time. Right. Right. Yep. Is there anything you would say to anyone that's maybe listening to this that, and I know there will be those who are listening to it, who would who live in a group such as yours? As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people will be listening, as I said, uh, re-emphasizing that. Uh, what would you say to them right now if they were listening and, and, and they were, I mean, they're going to hear what you're saying and it's going to resonate with them because, because, you, because they're, they're going to realize, they're going to see that, that what you are telling us about are the very things that they're struggling with, are the very things that they've beheld, that they've beheld. What would you say to them? Uh, to get to 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 just let them help them, you know. I mean, get a better perspective on them than what they've been doing. What would you say? I would say if there's any question 
in their minds about what is going on, if there's any gut feeling that something isn't right, that they need to make the arrangements to leave. You don't have to stay there. Uh, you don't have to continue to believe something that you know deep down is not right. Mm-hmm. Just find a place, call somebody, um, just get out of there because it's not healthy. Right, right. And what were those? What was it like for you those first few days out? I mean, how did you get your bearings? I know it was a lifelong thing, and it's still a struggle for you now, but how did you first start getting your bearings? Well, I had to um, – I was still defensive about what I was involved in for a few months. And uh, I, there were other people that had left the group before I did that wanted to contact me, and I would not do that. I, I didn't want to. I just, I was too angry about what was going on. And I did not admit that I was involved in something that was ungodly. And it took me a while to work through those emotions, the Mm -hmm. anger, the guilt, and the resentment. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And I just um, got in contact with you and you and your wife helped me tremendously sort through what I, the experiences that I had and to yeah. just decompress right. um, and learn how to relax again. Because mm-hmm. in, in that situation, you're always looking o- over your shoulder. You're never uh, relaxed. You're sleep deprived. You're um, starved for any type of conversation that, you know, is normal. <laughs> because you don't have a normal conversation if you're not talking about uh strictly about God and what God is doing and, and how you're going to work with God, then you know, it's all evil. Everything else is evil. So I had to work through all of that. And uh eventually I I ended up getting some therapy because I had post traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And that's the real thing, isn't it? It's very real. Yeah. 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 It's not something that you can just pray away. It's something you can just uh, read enough Bible verses to, to mask. It's, it's, it's a, it's a physical trauma that you have to deal with, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And my, uh, my brain was trying to heal. And it, as it was trying to heal the, the things that I had witnessed and things that I had been through, um, I was having all these dreams and then I, I couldn't shake the dreams. They would just keep coming all the time. So that's when I realized that I needed to get into, uh, some therapy and to work through the trauma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it took several months, but you know, I, I was able to work through it and, you know, God sent me to this wonderful lady that helped me tremendously. Along with your ministry, um, I think I healed faster than what a lot of people expected. Yeah. Well, we're just so grateful, Kathy, to have some small part in that. You know, I think if we did anything, we helped you realize, and we told you from day one, uh, you're not crazy. 
this this was real. You were you were a victim. You were the one that. Uh, uh, I mean, it's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. I mean, you were victimized. You were ripped off. And one of the things that became so clear to us, and it's something we've told you and told others on this podcast and place, is that you know you don't. The people who live with so much guilt over all this, and I think we just told you, look, you you didn't expect people to lie to you in the name of God and right. make you and make you think that that you were. Um, uh, going to be in this beautiful gate of heaven and it turned into a pit of hell. I mean, I mean, you expected people to tell you the truth, to be loving, and they weren't. It, it was a shame. It should be turned on them. And uh, the healing just needs to go on. And uh, I'm just grateful we did anything. That's what we, we try to help and reinforce you and uh, reinforce with you. And uh, and then you just simply had to Take that and and work that out on you, and I and I I really am glad that uh, you're able to do that. So uh, so the therapy was a real thing. That it, it really mattered. It really did help you. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It yeah. mattered and it helped, and I, I worked through a lot of the uh, the trauma. Yeah, um, and was able to get rid of the nightmares. So I now I can sleep at night without even praise God. About it. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, this has been a cautionary tale. This has been one of the things that, as we have been saying uh, in our in our brief opening here, is that you know that um, there is so much going on uh, in the world today. And even though we've been featuring specific groups and specific testimonies over the past year or so of people who have been in specific groups and, and have made mention of what they've been through. Is that the impetus? That the, the thing that got them trapped in there is no different than what's going on all over the world. And what you've been through, Kathy, is certainly not unique. Uh, but your experience certainly is no is no less important. And I'm, I'm thankful that um, that you came through it, and that uh, you know, with a lot of scars, a lot of regrets, I'm sure. But um, but thank right. God you've come through it, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you you've, you're on the flip side now. Uh, you get to see a grand, grand, some grandkids now, now and then that you didn't see before. <laughs> I'm right. so glad. And I'm, 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 I'm so happy that uh, it's turned around there for you. So, but, um, it's an, imp- it's an important cautionary tale that just needs to be told about this group. And, uh, uh, and I really do hope that all of those out there who were involved in it, uh, are getting the healing. I hope that they are seeking the, the therapy, seeking the resources that are out there. And as you've made it clear, it's very intentional. You have to really seek this. But as Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. And, right. uh, and, and in seeking and finding answers and healing beyond something like this, um, it's really got to be intentional. You've really got to go through it. Uh, right. right. And, and the, and the hassle is worth it all. And I'm thankful that, uh, we had some small part to play in that with you. Well. Your godson, that's for sure. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have
been encouraged and strengthened, and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night, or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.